Thank you. Do you like Eddie and his friends? Yeah, they're fun, aren't they? Amen. Come right ahead, guys. Give them a hand while they come to the classroom there, if you would. Now that they're out of my hearing, I will tell you that you're having a lot more fun with the puppets than they are. (laughs) Uh, Everybody's smiling and bopping with the music and having a good time. That's a good thing. Thank you for being here today. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, where we're continuing well over a year now, studying a book of the Bible each Sunday. We looked at 1 Timothy last week and saw where the young pastor Timothy was having a challenge. An age-old challenge dealing with talk and slander. And fables and things that weren't true. And people just uh, idle talk. That's, uh, as you remember last week, we went all the way through the book of 1 Timothy. And over and over it was repeated. He began with that right out of the gate. He ended with that at the end of the epistle and everywhere in between. Because Paul was needing to let this young pastor, Timothy, know. Incidentally, you know, First and Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. They were not written to a church. They were written to a pastor. And uh, there's many implications for us today. But last week we learned that that was a challenge in ministry to deal with the things that aren't true and slanderous and silly questions that gender strife and uh, and, and Paul tells Timothy that he needs to take a stand. He needs to talk about those things. We come to 2 Timothy today, and 2 Timothy still has some of the same types of things, but since we dealt with that so plainly and saw that last week in unmistakable ways in multiple passages of Scripture throughout the book of 1 Timothy, something else has kind of jumped out at me this week that I want to share with you. And I'm titling this sermon, The Power of a Redeemed Life. If you are redeemed today, would you say amen? amen? Good. I'm glad. I hope everybody in the building is redeemed today. And I want to talk about that relationship and uh, what that means in your life and what the expectations are that God has from us based on the fact that we are redeemed. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes today laying a foundation for this outside the book of 1 Timothy so that when I come to 1 Timothy, we can kind of hit the ground running. The word redeemed is an important biblical word. The word redeem and its derivatives like redeemed and redeemeth and so forth Um, The word is found 142 times in the Old Testament, redeemed. It is found 22 times in the New Testament, redeemed. Now that spoke to me right there. That's a big gap, is it not? That the word redeemed, the the word we sing about so much, the thing we rejoice in so much, the fact that we have been redeemed is talked about 142 times in the Old Testament, 22 times in the New Testament, 
Indeed, it is an important concept. We don't have time to go into the Old Testament and really dissect that. I'm going to give you a very basic definition of the word redeemed in just a moment. But first, let's look at about four passages. Um, one passage from the Old Testament, three from the New. First off, Psalm 107 verse 2, which says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. If you would, read the yellow words with me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And then just so you'll know, this is an interesting chapter of the Bible for me. I've always been intrigued by this. We read this three or four lines. Read it with me. All that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, that is in Psalm 107, that is verse 8. It's also verse 15. It's also verse 21. It's also verse 31. So let's read it again. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let's go back one slide, please. And again, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. One of the things about God's goodness that is so important to us who are saved is that His mercy endures forever. Therefore, we can be redeemed. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So we who are redeemed today are not ashamed. Amen? We celebrate the fact that we're redeemed. If you know it, sing it with me. I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to Him I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. And that's only one of many. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. The word redeemed is an important one in the Bible and in our lives as Christians. And redeemed simply means, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, short and sweet. To be redeemed means, or redeemed means to buy back or to purchase. Redeem means to buy back or to purchase. We sing another old song that says, He sought me and bought me. With his redeeming blood. The victory Jesus is the song. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. So we rejoice in the power of redemption. We celebrate the power of redemption. We are glad to be redeemed. We testify about being redeemed. We are thrilled to be redeemed. I'm glad I'm saved, aren't you? Having acknowledged, though, that we focus most of the time 
in redemption about what God has done for us. Is that not what we've been talking about? He sought me. He bought me. He redeemed me. He saved me. I belong to him. I'm blessed. I rejoice. I'm happy. I'm thrilled. I celebrate and I rejoice the fact that I am redeemed. Is that not true? Now, having said that, that is only one side of being redeemed. That is only half of what the word redemption um, means in our hearts and in our lives. And actually, it's the other half that I'd like to focus on this morning. Because along with the privilege of being redeemed, along with the blessing of being redeemed, along with the great price that was paid for our redemption, that being the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ, along with the benefits that we gain from that, there are also responsibilities and requirements when we become Christians. This second part, we don't focus on a whole lot, but it's an extremely important part of what redemption is. I owed a debt I could not pay. Can anybody say amen? And he paid a debt that he did not owe. Did he do that for us? Yes, he did. If you want to turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we might benefit by reading this verse together and talking about it just for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19, where the Bible says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Would you repeat those words after me? You are not your own. Let's do it one more time. You are not your own. You're not. You don't belong to you. No, if you're redeemed, you don't belong to you anymore. You are not your own. The next verse says, for you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are whose? They're God's. My body, my spirit belongs to him. I have been purchased. I have been redeemed. A price was paid for my life and my salvation. The Bible says now that the Spirit of God indwells me. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. So according to the scripture, my my end in life, my purpose in life, my goal in life is not to please Pastor Ron. My goal is to please God. Amen? I have to understand there is a purpose for my existence. There is a purpose for your existence. And when we are redeemed, bought with a price, we are not our own. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we celebrate the fact, yes, that we are saved from hell. Amen? We celebrate the fact that we are saved from sin. True? But listen, we also must understand not only are we saved from hell, not only are we saved from sin, but we are saved to serve. Amen. We are saved to serve. That's why the Bible calls us servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved to serve. Jesus said this. It's a powerful statement that I don't think we really dwell on enough. 
Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Did he say that? Jesus said, you take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to take up my cross. And we know what that meant for him. And he looks at us and he says, you take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't mean that we're supposed to nail our hands and our feet to a cross and die like he did. But we are supposed to die to self. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Again, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has called us to do something. So I'm going to make a statement. And if you agree with the Bible that this statement is true, I'd like for for you to give a good, hearty, and a healthy amen. We celebrate because we're saved. We celebrate because we've been spared from going to hell. We celebrate because we've given been given eternal life. But we also have to understand with all of that blessing... Because of the price that's been paid for our redemption, we have a responsibility, requirements, and we're supposed to serve God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Good. You're with me, and I appreciate that. Now we're going to turn to our text in 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at the lives of three different men. We're going to look at the lives of three different men. The first of them is Paul. If you were to look at chapter 1, verse 1, the letter begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 begins this way. To Timothy, a beloved son. So Paul, this seasoned, experienced uh, pastor, minister, preacher, teacher, he has... He has for years and years and even decades, he's preached the gospel. He's taken a stand for truth. I think I would like to just go ahead and turn to first, excuse me, second Corinthians and chapter 11, second Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll refer to this in a moment, but I want to go ahead and read it now because the cost, how many of you know that if you go somewhere and you buy a car, it's going to cost you something. If you go to Food Line and buy a grocery and get a cart full of groceries, it's going to cost you something. And when the Lord saved us, it cost Him something. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us. We now belong to Him and not ourselves. He tells us to take up our cross. To follow him, Paul says to die daily, and we're supposed to surrender our lives to the Lord. Now I want to give you an example. Paul is not spouting off nothingness and phrases and verbiage that means nothing. Paul is, Paul has lived what he's going to ask us to do. He's not doing something that he hasn't yet himself already done. I would like for you to listen, if you would, to the experiences of Paul from his own mouth and the thing that he has endured since he became a Christian and a preacher of the gospel. Beginning in latter part of verse 23, Paul says, he's speaking about himself, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, 
How many know what stripes are when we're in, the, in the Bible when we're talking about them? Remember what happened to Jesus? And he was given many stripes. He was whipped with a whip. Paul was as well. Paul says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often from the Jews. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Listen, if one of us was beaten with rods, we'd talk about it for the rest of our lives. Wouldn't we? Yeah. For the cause of Christ? Are you kidding me? If we were caned or we were beaten with rods, that'd be part of our testimony. We'd be on talk shows and TV. It would just be a big deal to us. Listen to what Paul says. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead, by the way. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night have I been in the deep, floating in the ocean, in journeys often... In perils, dangers of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. It sounds like to me that the Apostle Paul had been through something, doesn't it? Now, as we're talking about Paul now, and we're going back to 2 Timothy, let's look over in chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. In verse 11 of chapter 1, Paul says, I was appointed. Listen, who was it that called and appointed Paul? Jesus did. Exactly right. In verse 11, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, in this day, when the preachers sometimes live in multi-million dollar homes, fly jets, and, and, and you know what I'm talking about, right? And Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And you know what it got him? Nothing but trouble. Near death. Repeatedly. As a matter of fact, here's what he says. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And then in verse 12 he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. The things that I just read in 1 Corinthians, the reason he suffered all those things, because he was true to God and preached the gospel. That's why he suffered those things. It's a hard thing, folks, sometimes to stand up for the gospel. It's a hard thing to stand up for the truth. As a matter of fact, something else is interesting here. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Now, some of you thought we were just singing a, a song a while ago. You never heard it before. Do these words sound familiar? I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. We were just singing that, weren't we? 
See, those words came from Paul's words here in this verse of Scripture. Paul was a man who was committed. A man who had been stoned. A man who had been shipwrecked. A man who had been whipped. He had suffered persecution. He'd been lied about, slandered about. He had, he had, you name it, he has suffered it for the cause of the gospel. He's now experiencing imprisonment. As this is being written, he's in prison in Rome. Have you ever heard of a man named Nero? Nero was a Roman emperor. You may have heard the phrase that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. We don't know about the fiddling part. That's probably just somebody's explanation of what happened. However, there was an emperor named Nero. And Rome did burn under his leadership. Many in history think he burned Rome himself so that he could rebuild it in the glorious vision that he had for Rome. It's noted as being the greatest fire in the history, period. No other fire like that one. A big city like Rome and 75% of it gone in six days as the city burned. Well, when it was over, you know how it is. You always have to point fingers, right? And some people began to point their fingers at Nero and said, you wanted it burned down because you wanted to rebuild it. Well, that probably was the truth, and there's a lot of evidence for that. But do you think Nero was going to stand up and say, yeah, I did it? Yes, yeah, my fault? Oh, no. He wasn't going to do that. He started pointing fingers. Who do you think he pointed fingers at? Christians. The Roman emperor during that period of time, 64 A.D., was Nero. And he pointed the fingers at Christians. He said, they did it. They're troublemakers. You can't trust them. This upstart religion and and put all kind of question marks on them. And Christians began to be persecuted and martyred. Well, at this time, the most visible Christian of them all would probably have been Paul. Paul has been in prison. You can read this in the book of Acts. But Paul has now been in prison for two years in Rome. And while he's there, he's had freedom. He's lived in his own house. He has had people come to him. He's carried on and shared the gospel and all these kinds of things. You can read this in the book of Acts. And then he's acquitted and he stays two years and he preaches the gospel. He goes back to doing what he was called to do. But then for some reason, we're not told exactly what it was, he was put in prison again. Now, many people think the reason he was put back in prison again was because Nero was putting a finger on him and accusing him for being the one who started this fire. Let me read just a couple of things to you. I'm going to go back. I have here a copy of the original King James Version 1611 edition. Now, this is not, this is a copy. You know what that means. It's not 400 years old, but it's a picture. It's a copy of that. In this Bible, at the end of 2 Timothy, there is a postscript. After verse 22 of chapter number 4, I guess it is, yeah. After verse 22, there is this postscript in the original King James Version of 1611. 
Here's what it says. The second epistle unto Timotheus, the second epistle unto Timotheus, ordained the first bishop of the church of the Ephesians, was written from Rome when Paul was brought before Nero the second time, which is what I've just shared with you. He was in Rome, in prison. He spent two years in Rome, but this time he's in for the second time. The first time he was in, it was the Jews who were accusing him of some things, and he appealed to Caesar, and the Caesar in this particular case would have been Nero, and nothing ever came of it, and they just kind of dropped the charges and let him go, and they freed him. But now he's being locked up for a second time, because Nero needs to pin this fire on somebody. So I'm going to read to you from the introduction of an older Bible that I've got here. But it puts it in a nutshell. This is the introduction to 2 Timothy from this King James Version Bible I have. It's the Keyword Study Bible, I think is the name of it. Many believe that Paul was made the chief scapegoat for Nero's burning of Rome. Nero set fire to Rome in order to rebuild it to his liking. Since Nero was suspected of starting the blaze, he blamed the Christians for it and ordered them all to be executed. This time, Paul was charged as a criminal, not on a technicality as before. Paul resigned himself to the inevitable, but he was very happy with the life of service that he had lived, confident that the cause of Christ would ultimately triumph. He urged Timothy... To arrive in Rome before winter with a warm coat and some of the scriptures. Paul's second epistle to Timothy was written soon after the first one, approximately A.D. 66, while Paul was expecting his execution. This is Paul's last letter. And so now we go back in our Bibles to chapter 4, verse 6. How many have ever heard the term death row? Paul, having been accused by Nero of something, and probably it is associated with this general persecution that's being laid on the church. Paul is on death row. Paul is going to die, and he knows it. That's what death row is all about, right? And so in verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drinking a drink offering. You know how you take a, a glass of something and you pour it out before the Lord as an offering? Just shh. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Here's a man on death row. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been persecuted. He's been slandered. He's been lied about. But now he's near the end of his life. He's on death row. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. The very next thing he says in verse 9 is, as he's speaking now to Timothy, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Be diligent to come to me quickly. And then a little bit later in verse 21, he says, Do your utmost to come before winter. I don't have much time. As it turns out, Paul was executed. As was the apostle Peter about this same time. Two apostles. Paul was beheaded. His head was cut off. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the same way Jesus was. During this persecution, Christians, by the hundreds and thousands even, were martyred. They were burned at the stake. They would tie Christians to a stake and cover them with tar and pitch and light them up and make them a torch while Nero rode rode around in the stadium there parading around as if he was really somebody. Nero thought he was a hero, but actually he was a zero. He was nothing because he opposed God and he opposed God's preacher, God's prophet, God's apostle, God's teacher, God's people. That's the Apostle Paul. Now, may may you, I hope, think with me soberly this morning about God's, one of God's finest, one of God's best, one of God's champions, one of God's most faithful people who probably did more in, in missions than anybody that could be named. Three-fifths, two-thirds, you hear different fractions given. He wrote that much of the New Testament. Paul was a giant of a Christian man, wasn't he? But look at the trouble he endured by being faithful and giving his life to the Lord. Now Paul, this older man, who knows he's on death row and about to give up his life, he's writing to young Timothy. Timothy's a young preacher he met. And Paul saw great promise in this young preacher whose name was Timothy said, Timothy, I want you to stay here in Ephesus. I want you to shepherd these people. I want you to be their pastor. Teach them. Nurture them. I want you to tell them the truth now. And so Paul begins his message to Timothy in this way. Verse 2, Timothy, you're my beloved son. I love you, Timothy. This wasn't just a casual acquaintance. Timothy looked at Paul like a father. And Paul looked at Timothy like he was his own son. To Timothy, a beloved son. He says in verse 4, I'm mindful of your your tears. I'm greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears. He says in verse 6 to Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. Timothy 
was experiencing some problems. Timothy was experiencing some criticism. There were some people who were saying slanderous things, telling lies. A lot, and, and Paul looks at Timothy and he says, don't, don't despise your youth. Let no man despise your youth. You may be young, but you've got a calling on your life. You do what God's called you to do. Now you think today I'm only talking about preachers, but I'm not. I'm talking about all of us. Because all of us are bought with a price. And God has a calling on all of our lives. And there's things that God wants all of us to do. And one of the things is be faithful and open our mouths and speak up for Him and serve Him like He means something to us. We just can't go through life rejoicing that we're saved without understanding there's another perspective. And that is we owe God something. He says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. We owe God something. And so... He says to Timothy in verse 8 of chapter 1, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. May I submit to you today that success in the eyes of the Lord is not judged by how many people are coming to your church. Amen? No, sir. Not at all. Not at all. There's some big churches doing great things full of dead people spiritually. And there's some small churches that have some Timothys and some Pauls in them. Who all they want to do is serve God and be faithful. The first shall be last and the last shall be first, Jesus said. And sometimes what we perceive with our eyes and with our ears as failure may be great in God's eyes. The little lady that you never hear from in church. You've never seen her up front. She's never sung a song. She's never played the piano. She's probably never prayed a prayer. But that little lady, that prayer warrior, nobody's ever heard of. Is going to be a giant in God's eyes. Amen. And the person who stands up front all the time. And people listen to all the time. When he gets to heaven. He may not be the big shot he thinks he is. Amen. But all of us can be faithful. But here's something we've got to learn. Because your message is not received. Because everyone doesn't just get overjoyed and bubbly at what you say. That doesn't mean defeat or it doesn't mean you're wrong it just means they don't listen because Paul preached the gospel and look what it got him and I'll tell you right now in the world we live in and in the culture we live in if you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ you will not be popular if you stand up and preach the word of God you will not be popular Paul writes to Timothy and says to him, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, You need to know this, Timothy, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. They'll be proud and blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy and unloving and unforgiving and slanderers without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, and on and on and on the list goes. 
verse 12 says, as Paul is speaking to this young pastor, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Wait a minute. That's, that's all of us. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Is there anybody here who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus? If you are ready, just raise your hand. The Bible says, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue, Timothy, in the things in which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, here's something I want to tell you, Timothy. All Scripture, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God, Timothy, I command you before God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Wednesday night in Bible study, I asked this question. I'd like for everybody who is here who loves being rebuked to raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. I'd like for everybody who loves being corrected to raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. I'd like for everybody that loves to be reproved to raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. But that's exactly the thing that Paul is telling Timothy he's got to do. In other words, you're going to have to do some things and say some things, Timothy, that are not going to please the crowd. But you have to be true to the Word of God and do what He's called you to do. He says, for the time will come, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And be turned aside to fables. I talked last week quite a bit about what fables are. Untrue stories. Just no truth. And the Bible says that people will bring to themselves the teachers and the preachers who say what they want them to say. I'm going to tell you, that's a dangerous thing. And it is a solemn charge that Paul is giving young Timothy. You speak up, Timothy. You preach the word. The litmus test, Timothy, is not whether they like it or not. Because sometimes they're not going to like it. But you be faithful. You do what I've called you to do. And you preach the word. Here's Paul with his head on the chopping block practically. 
And he's giving this charge to young Timothy. And here's, here's the thing is that Timothy is being charged to turn around and teach these things to other faithful men who also can share them with others. What this does is it trickle-down economics, they say. This is trickle-down teaching. This is trickle-down theology. It, it comes from Paul to Timothy and from Timothy to us, and it trickles down. But it's for us just as much as it is anybody. Because you have to be true to the Word of God. I have to be true to the Word of God. And when you're true to the Word of God, it's not going to make some people happy. Amen? I could name any number of things that will get you in trouble as a pastor nowadays. Standing up and preaching them. To stand in front of a group of people and say that homosexuality is wrong will get you in trouble with a lot of people. To stand in front of a group of people and say that same-sex marriage is wrong and is an abomination in the sight of God will get you in trouble with a lot of people. To say that parents should not discipline their children will get you in trouble with a lot of people. But the Bible says otherwise. We have the responsibility, do we not? To train and teach our children. The Bible talks a lot about that. So there's all kinds of things that if we do that, if we speak about that. Listen, three-year-olds don't run the household. Parents run the household. See, until we get rid of some of that junk and that garbage in our thinking and in our minds, we're going to stay as messed up as the world is. But when we do things God's way, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul also talked about three or four examples about what we're supposed to be as Christians. He said we're supposed to be like a good soldier. Is a good soldier one who sleeps on guard duty at night? No, he's in trouble real quick, isn't he? If he's caught sleeping as a soldier when he's on duty. But we're supposed to be like a good soldier, be alert and awake and ready to stand and fight. Put on the whole armor of God, Paul said. We're all supposed to be like the good athlete. Some of you have been watching some of the Olympics past couple of weeks. Those people are amazing at what they do, the best in the world. They've prepared themselves. They've trained. They watch what they eat. They get up early and they work out. They do all those things to be the very, very best that they can be. Paul says we're supposed to be like that as Christians. So be like the soldier. Be like the athlete. Be like the farmer. If the farmer doesn't cultivate the field, disc the field, plow the field, break up the fallow ground, sow the seed, then cultivate it and fertilize it, do all those things he's supposed to do, there won't be a harvest, will there? You can't take a day off or a week off. Just any time you want to. You have to take care of business if you're a farmer. That's the way it is with a Christian. We're not Christians one day a week. We're Christians seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Wherever we go, we're still Christians. Wherever we go, we're still bound by the same word of God that we are when we stand in church on a Sunday morning and lift our voices to the Lord. And then Paul talked about vessels of honor 
and vessels of dishonor. In a house, there are vessels, some expensive, good vessels, and then there are some vessels to dishonor. You know what the Lord has called us to be as Christians? Vessels of honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he makes us, if our musicians will come, he makes us, he fashions us. He, he has already made us a receptacle of his Holy Spirit. We just read that a few moments ago. It's a vessel that belongs to him. He fills it with the Holy Spirit. So we are vessels, to be sure, and we can be vessels that are pleasing in his sight, or we can be vessels that disappoint him. We can be vessels of honor, or we can be vessels of dishonor. Of course, the Bible tells us that we should strive to be a vessel of honor to the Lord. Amen? I'll tell you, this business, folks, of being redeemed is important. It means we belong to Him. He has bought us with a price. And we rejoice in what that means for us for eternity. But there's also some requirements and some responsibilities that we have as Christians as we continue our earth walk until Jesus comes for us. We have to be diligent about what God's called us to do and what he's called us to be. Would you sing these with us? Incidentally, on that last screen, the third person was Nero. I didn't even want to put his name on the screen. He was a wicked man. He killed his mother. He killed his wife. He killed some of his children. He killed people. Anybody who threatened him, he just got rid of them. That's Nero. And he got rid of as many of the Christians as he could. And there are people like that in the world today. If they don't want to destroy you physically, they want to destroy you otherwise. We have to make up our minds that the power that redeems us is strong enough to also keep us. Would you stand with me? Lord, prepare me to be a
But the next time we sing it, I'd like for us to sing it as a prayer. If you didn't the first time. To sing it as a prayer and tell him that I know I belong to you. I'm your vessel. And Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor. I don't want to be a vessel that's soiled and corrupt and broken and not trustworthy. But I want to be a vessel, Lord, of honor for you sanctified, cleansed and pure, separated from the world and holy, that your spirit might fill me and I can be pleasing in your sight. Would you let's sing that prayer to the Lord? What a beautiful song. Oh, That all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for us as believers. If we take heed to what we read. Now Lord we acknowledge that what we've talked about this morning. Was a letter that was written to a young pastor. But we also understand it has implications for all of us who are here. We need to be faithful. We need to stand for you. We need to be committed. We need to not be timid. Because indeed you have not given us the spirit of fear. But of love and of power and of sound mind. 
And when we reach out and we do our best and we're biblical and we take a stand for you or we witness to somebody, sometimes they will receive it, even come to you and maybe even be planted in this church and grow into no telling what. But then, Lord, there's times when we share with people and they don't receive it. They don't want to hear it. They don't like it. Lord, help us to understand that's not our problem. As long as we're being faithful to you and your word and we have the right spirit, Lord, we're not responsible for the results. We're just responsible to be faithful. Then we depend on your power and your spirit to comfort us and to keep us strong. Lord, help us to stir up the gift that is in us. Help us to to be diligent about our standing and our relationship with you. You're coming right now. It's closer than it's ever been before. And Lord, we need to be closer to you than we've ever been before. So we pray that you would help us. Be who you've called us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord, for your love. We do want to serve you. And today we make this place to you before we leave. When your spirit speaks to me with my Remember the movie here tonight. We'd love to see you then. Have a great week.